This is the wake-up call for the medtech industry. The founder, chairman, and CEO of the world's leading search firm in medtech, Joe Mullings of the Mullings Group, is here today in studio for episode number 64. I've been warning the 360 Nation about the medical excise tax discussion leading up to this recording. I was wrong. That's minuscule. That was just a leading talking point to what is really going to happen in healthcare. And every MedTech CEO and board member needs to listen to these wise words from Joe and be prepared to pivot now. COVID-19 is killing legacy thinking. The days of episodically treating people and reps in the hospital are just a few of the changes on the horizon. Join Joe and I as we prepare career-minded people for the shift that is coming and deep dive into the open architecture mindset. I really appreciate Joe Mullings for joining me in this eye-opening conversation for all who are in healthcare and all those who depend on it. If you're a new listener to Healthcare 360, hit that subscribe button on Apple Podcast as well as YouTube. Then head on over to our website at scotteburgess.com and join our mailing list. We release a brand new audio and video episode of Healthcare 360 every Monday and now every Thursday. So sign up, get informed, and stay in touch. Friends, these reviews help in more ways than you know. It's the driver of podcast longevity. Your review will help the nation grow, reach more people, and make more of an impact. More importantly, it continues to motivate the entire Healthcare 360 team. So let's keep those reviews coming. Last but not least, all this information, including the contact information for the team at Healthcare 360 and Healthcare 360 guests, is included in the podcast notes and the website description page at scotteburgess.com. All neatly laid out, organized, and easy to follow. As always, we appreciate you being here. We'll see you for next week's episode, number 65, with part two of my lessons learned conversation with the magic maker herself, Michelle Burgess. Thanks again. This is Scott Burgess. And from all of us with the Healthcare 360 team, we'll see you for episode number 65, only on Healthcare 360. My discussion point, what came up, is not to talk about politics, like we talked about in the beginning, but there is a wave, a serious wave of whatever direction, whatever the hell this lands, no one really knows. Mm-hmm. Um, you probably hear some of the same conspiracy stuff or some of the real stuff that's going on within the states and what's happening. So really, it really, no one knows yet. Mm-hmm. I want to know, and what I want to bring to the attention, because uh, more to the consumer market, mm-hmm. as far as what to expect mm-hmm. and what to look out for. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, on the administrative level, what to expect and what the CEOs and these partner companies are to look for as well. It's a real simple question, but it's very diverse. And yeah. it's a super packed, super packed. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know? It's a 52-card pickup right now in yeah. healthcare. There's no no question in my mind. So, you know, you've got all these new players. Like, like I just mentioned, I just came off of a, a, a session with Google, Amazon, Livongo, mm-hmm. ICI leadership. And let's look at the deck right now. So, you've got a company <laughs> like Livongo who – has been around for years and years, but really put their foot on the pedal in the last couple of years. They got a market cap as of a week ago, $29 billion. Wow. Okay. Bigger than Zimmer. Bigger than Fresenius. Bigger than Smith & Nephew. So these are companies that have been around for 100 years. Where's Medtronic in that? Medtronic's at the top of this. Medtronic's at $154 billion, yeah. 154, right? Mm-hmm. So, but Medtronic's market growth, if they stay the way they're doing it right now, is going to be like that. Mm-hmm. Lavango is like this, okay? Now you've got this convergence going on, potentially. So J&J, Medtronic, Boston Sci, Edwards, 
You know, there's this old statement that holds true is in order for change to occur, sometimes a funeral has to happen. Sure. Right? Absolutely. And so when you have these Lavangos coming on, the Teledocs coming on right now, so that Lavango Teledoc is what I was referring to. Yep. Suddenly, you know, you still have MedTech still owns the beachfront property on the patient. But right now, the mindset in healthcare at 18% of our GDP is a major issue. Whether it's this administration, the previous administration, even the Obama administration, it's much more of a complex question than who's in charge. Because right now, whoever the administration is in charge, I think has less to do than with the dynamic happening in the marketplace right now. Because you've got this convergence. Right now, you've got these world beaters coming in. Google, Amazon, Samsung, Apple, right? All these big players coming in. Mm -hmm. They're not big players. They are the players. They're the players. They're, that's it. It's where but it's all going. They're the players. And yeah. it's there's no question in my mind with, again, Teladoc as that example is, when you can jump into the market and, and leapfrog the Zimmers, the, the Fresenius's, right? And you're talking about chronic care. Mm -hmm. So- you know, I think 80% of our spend in this country is on chronic care. Yeah. Right? And so you're talking about people who are sick every single day. That is the biggest load right now. So the way to get to them is to have them have an unbelievable experience and offer healthcare right place, right time. That's also another aggravating point for my seat and, and been in healthcare as long as I have is mm -hmm. because versus teaching good immunity, good health, exercise, diet, just simple as how to read a nutrition label, for example. Mm -hmm. They're not doing that. But mm -hmm. then we have all this chronic illness. Mm -hmm. I had my uncle there just yesterday, and he's termed as a kidney replacement. What information do they hand over? Mm -hmm. well, who is the educators on that? He mm -hmm. goes, oh, just give me a piece of paper. Mm -hmm. You need a kidney replacement, and that's all they gave you? Mm -hmm. Yeah. We did some digging. and You're an educated consumer. Yeah. We're 99%. You, know, you and I come out of the sweet spot. Look, I was diagnosed with heart failure five years ago idiopathic, but they think it was a virus and attacked the heart, right? Yeah. And literally, I sat in there in the ER here in Boca, and a good friend of mine who was the ER doctor said, I took a chest x-ray, did a blood test, right? Did the whole thing. And he comes in, he's like, you have heart failure. You got an EF of 12, ejection fraction of 12. Now, normal is somewhere between 60 and 70, roughly. That's the amount of blood that comes out of your heart and pumps effectively. I'm in the hospital for three or four days, right? They put me on all kinds of meds. Literally, they send me out of the hospital with one piece of paper and they go Isn't home awesome? and they go, no, heart failure, bro. Right. And I go home and they're like, weigh yourself every day about the same time, take these meds and give us a call. I'm like, okay. Luckily, you know, a really good friend of mine, Dan Burkoff is one of the top heart failure guys in the world. I built two LVAD companies. Yeah. So I know that, but I'm an educated consumer. I can navigate myself out of that chronic, because I'm a chronic patient. Right. I'm taking meds every day for it. Yeah. Right? So I'm chronic. Right? But I know how to manage that disease state. But how about all the other people who don't know how to do that? That's 80% that's <laughs> of the load on the healthcare system. Yeah. You're and not... so right now, we are episodically treating people and just say, go home, knock yourself out. And then what we're waiting is three years later or five years later for an acute situation. Mm -hmm. And that's where it's crippling the healthcare. Or COVID. Well, COVID actually has been a blessing. <laughs> uh, yeah, and now. On the healthcare yeah, system. On the healthcare, yeah. On the healthcare system. It's been a blessing. Welcome back to Healthcare 360. I'm your host, Scott Burgess. Across from me, as I promised in this past week's episode, we have Joe Mullins sitting across from us. 
Joe is the founder and CEO of the Mullins Group. Uh, They are a premier talent acquisition firm. He has a really different and unique approach. I follow Joe on LinkedIn. He does dynamic work. If you haven't checked him out there, check him out. Also go to truefuture.tv as well. He has unbelievable docuseries that just go into just atypical topic points. Everyone who sits across from me, everyone in this podcast has an atypical discussion point that brings to light things that we need to talk about and just resonate. In some of the earlier podcasts, we talked about what's going to happen with the healthcare system. We have a different administration potentially coming in, depending on who you want to talk to. The Obama administration had, it's part of the Affordable Care Act. Now, this is not a political show. Mm-hmm. I could care less about what people's political affiliations are and is, but the other side of that is who's paying for it? Who's paying for it? Who's accepting new med tech companies come in? All the above. Okay, very small, simple question, very loaded question at the same time. So during the Obamacare rollout, there was a $20 billion tax on medical device manufacturers. Mm-hmm. Who think you paid for that? Patients. Patient did, mm-hmm. right? And on top of that, there's also charity care built in, et cetera. So what's going to happen now? Because the Trump administration repealed that mm-hmm. and they pulled that back. Mm-hmm. And I know many companies took those dollars and they put them back into R&D or they put out into resource alignment or acquisition mm-hmm. at the same time, which helped their bottom lines grow, flourish. And again, capitalism, if capitalism, right? And if you want to move forward, you need to invest, invest, mm-hmm. but you can't keep investing and growing when you're being driven down with excess taxes, which is why they call it the medical excise tax. Mm-hmm. I asked Joe to come in. And the reason why, because he does, again, I talked about True Future TV. He does an unbelievable job at highlighting up-and-coming med tech companies, what their role will be, how they're going to deploy those services and that technology out to the patient and to the hospitals that they'll serve. It's a pyramid effect here. What's going to happen? Who's going to pay for it? So if we have another excise tax that's going to come in play, we don't know. There has not been a definitive electoral vote decision. What's going to happen? So Joe's sitting across. He just got back from a, a big-time conference, CEO of Google and all the other ones he just mentioned. I think he's more more than fit to answer that question. <laughs> well, I don't know more than fit. You know, I, I tend to be a little provocative in my thoughts and, and opinions on things, right? <laughs> Maybe that's why we're fans of each other. Right. You know, so it's a fair question. I don't know if you can legislate healthcare in, in the world that we're in right now. And, and that really is the first question is, that sort of medical device tax was interesting. And I believe there's a bigger question. It was just subsidized more than anything else. It was, like, it was like buying a new iPhone, pay 200 up front and pay $20 a month. Somebody's paying that, for it. Right. Somebody's paying for it. And it's, it's a pass through. Mm-hmm. It's a pass through. I had worked closely with an organization who was down in Washington working aggressively on repealing that tax. Mass Medic, Brian Johnson there, does an unbelievable job. He's now the he's CEO president of Colonel. Uh, uh, no, no. Uh, he's uh, president of Mass Medic, Brian Johnson. Must be two Brian Could Johnsons. Two Brian Johnson's yeah. a common name. Because yeah. Colonel is the competitor to Neuralink. Yeah. Yeah. Elon Musk different Brian name. Johnson. Yeah. yeah. So I think it's really important to look at a couple of things right now. There's something dynamic happening in this next administration. And whoever takes it, you know, we know what's going to happen. You know, again, I, I want to be apolitical here. The, the Biden administration is going to come in. And God bless them. That's who's picked. Let's work with who we got to dance with. Over the next four years, something more dynamics than going to happen in healthcare 
out of necessity than a device tax. It's going to be the convergence of big tech coming into med tech. You've got an 18% GDP right now of our GDP consumed by healthcare. I think it's 80% of that are chronic, is chronic illness, diabetics, long-term patients like heart failure, long-term care. Medtronic, Boston Sci, I love them. They're doing great work. J&J, mm-hmm. none of them are set up right now to address the change that needs to occur. Who is set up are organizations to converge on healthcare like Apple, Google, Amazon, Facebook, Samsung. Facebook as well is going to get into the market. Oh, gosh. You know, Facebook arguably, even though their trust factor is low and Amazon's is high in the face of the consumer, <laughs> right? Facebook will absolutely be one of the major impetuses towards success of driving down cost of care. Because what it's done incredibly well is created community. And when you look at chronic care, when you start to get a community, meaning sig others, children, you know, one degree of separation from the patient to influence that chronic care, Mm -hmm. suddenly you start to get medication compliance. Suddenly you start to impact how are you choosing your lifestyle selections? What are they? Mm -hmm. And that is allowing us to preemptively at least push off or intervene on an acute situation like an amputation. What are your thoughts though? On, I mean, the trust factor, you started yeah. off with that. that. That's a big one. I mean, right now, I mean, frankly, a big one. we, this past week, I had one camera in my house, just in the kitchen. You saw one of my daughters out of four. We just took it out of the kitchen. I was like, there's absolutely no way I can trust these people anymore based on the climate that we're in. You're right. You're right. So how are people supposed to come back and and I don't mean to deviate from that point, no, but, it's, it's but if you can't get past that one point, how can you move forward? It's, it's very fair. Look, you can probably say that about any corporate entity. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You and I are on the same page. That right. Way. Any corporate yeah. entity. There's no white hats in corporate America. Mm-hmm. There's just gray, shades of gray. If you took Facebook and Amazon and did a survey on trust on the consumer, I think Amazon would get 99 votes and then somebody related to Zuckerberg might give one vote on trust. Sure. Right? (laughs) So trust is a really important factor when you're talking about this. No doubt about it. But when you have a Facebook, Facebook can bring you community. Google can bring you data. Amazon can bring you commerce, right? All of these are going to start to come into the med tech, health tech community very, very quickly. They're already insinuated into it. Mm -hmm. Your example of that is Teladoc. Teladoc market cap. Also verb surgical. I mean, the algorithm that J&J, that robot they bought is all Google. Mm. It's all layered. It's layered, uh, but verb doesn't exist anymore. Right. Yeah, I, I know verb's gone. And their robot doesn't exist anymore. Oh, it's not? I didn't know that. doesn't oh, exist really? anymore. That's mm-hmm. in the public domain. Uh-huh. So I'm not giving you any insight information. Because yeah. I built verb. I brought all 350 people on. So I'm very intimately familiar with that. Okay. But when you talk about healthcare, we have to stop and say, okay, let's forget about the middle of distribution curve where every single medical device company is focusing right now. Meaning when you become an acute patient, that's really what medical device focuses on. Mm. The acute scenario in the OR, in the cath lab. Rarely do they go on either side of that distribution curve, which is where you can have the biggest impact, which is where the Amazon, the Google, the Apples, the Samsungs, the IBMs, all are going to start to get earlier in to destroy the monster before it gets too big. And that comes down to... What's the monster? 
disease, an disease. acute scenario. The acute scenario is the monster. That's what's crippling us right now. So what we will start to do now is start looking at digital will allow us to treat the patient outside the hospital. Yep. Right? Wearables. Wearables, passive monitoring. The doctor's not going to be replaced. The doctor, and this is all going to happen in the next four years. I'm convinced of this. That's going to be in alignment with digital surgery 4.0. Let's even get out of surgery. Let's stay yeah. out of surgery, right? Because on the healthcare side, surgery is the <clears throat> symptom of a bad healthcare system. Yeah. <laughs> That's well stated. Surgery is yeah. the last thing you want in healthcare, mm -hmm. yet it's what the entire med device industry focuses on. And the bigger market is the pre and then the, should we have to get to surgery post? What mm -hmm. you're going to start to see now is the impact on healthcare. And we're seeing it is, you know, at the start of COVID, we've got these, now I can call up my doctor and I can actually get reimbursed for it, right? We have passive monitoring taking place. We've got Amazon with Halo. We've got Google, right, with their Fit platform, right? right? So this passive monitoring is now going to allow mm -hmm. us to aggregate massive amounts of data. We're going to be able to pass that massive amount of data to a better informed clinician, surgeon maybe, doctor definitely. We're not going to take that away from the doc. What we're going to do is give them more information, more data. Care is no longer going to be predicated on where you live based on a geography. Because if I live out in Des Moines, Iowa, I might not get the same care as if I'm in New York City. Mm -hmm. You look at the two largest markets right now, Scott, in the world is healthcare and education. Both of those historically for hundreds of years have been determined by this big brick building in the middle of town where I went, this big monolithic structure <laughs> where if you're sick, that's where you went to get treated. That's right. If you wanted to learn, you went to the brick building in the middle of your town. When the bell went off, you moved from one class to another to another. So your education and both your healthcare have been predicated on where you live. Right. COVID is Move the that funeral that had to occur in order to kill legacy thinking. When you can go ahead and make it so it's no longer geographically tied, where I can now take learning online, we're seeing it. Right. We had to. We took healthcare online. We had to. And so you're going to have these tech giants come in. The struggle is going to be the beachfront property has been the medical device company because they can touch the patient and they can interact with the FDA. Mm -hmm. That has been beachfront property forever. And they have played that card and their strength is their weakness. They have fixated on the patient exclusively and not looked at the entire human journey into the healthcare. You can go back to probably episode number one. And I've, I've said to this, and this is true, because if you just go back and just look at the topics, just of the, my own podcast, mm -hmm. we had uh, Tatiana Gomez on, and she was in my top five, where smaller community base, that's what the hospitals want. 80% mm -hmm. of patient consumers do not trust their local brick building anymore, mm -hmm. just like you said. Mm -hmm. So now they want a smaller community base, so that's going to happen. We're seeing interventional work and those big imaging systems, Siemens, mm -hmm. Philips, GE, et cetera, mm -hmm. moving into smaller outpatient MRIs, all the same. Mm -hmm. That's one. Data, AI, the acquisition thereof, the flow of omnidirectional information going back and forth. Mm -hmm. Two. Then we had Brian Doric on. He's all over social. I liked him a lot. 
he presents himself well. He explains. He sits down. He has a really good patient side care mannerism to him. Mm -hmm. He'll be the first one to tell you that there's no schooling on business and or nutrition or brain health or any of those things that are starting to pop up now. Mm -hmm. I mean, like true neurological Mm -hmm. work where Mm -hmm. they understand where it's going. Brent Lacey came on. Most people that leave in med school are leaving $500,000 in debt per head. They get wrapped into the system. Mm Loading all that stuff into a ball, mm-hmm. where is the education? What it sounds to me right now is that it's going back towards data on symptomatic stuff. But where is the valgus nerve or this nerve? And this is what the referred points are and things like that. That's what I think is missing as well in that equation. And can a computer or can MedTech or can that data pick all that up? Well, look, I don't think AI replaces docs. I think docs who use AI replace docs who don't. Okay. Okay. So let's start there. Go back, right treatment, right place, right time. If we think about the spatiotemporal effect of healthcare, if we took classic healthcare out of the equation, the legacy healthcare, where nothing was connected, it was all analog, you went to your doctor, they put you on a scale. Think about that. They put you on a scale. Mm -hmm. They took a stethoscope, an analog stethoscope, stuck something in your ear, in your mouth, wrote everything down. They put it in a piece of paper and it went into a file cabinet. It was never connected. Okay. But it's still not connected. Because it's because, not connected yet, but this is yeah. where we get into passive monitoring, yeah. right? But that, that's what I'm saying. The payment system, which is the healthcare system, realistically, <laughs> right? Versus having your general practitioner who could cover a wide variety of health issues, concerns, topics, whatever. Okay, now everyone's siloed. And so, for example, your kidney doctor can't do anything outside of just kidney focus. Based on the current infrastructure. Right, yeah. Based on the current infrastructure. So you go to Israel, and Israel has been collecting data everywhere. for 25 plus years. Yeah. You can get your iPhone, wherever mine is, and you actually have all of your patient records on your mobile device. You can walk into any hospital. I didn't know that. And you can wow. give it to them, and they all their historical data. But let's go back to your GP. But isn't that based on the single-payer system, though? That Well, yes and no. Rewards drive behavior, no matter where you are in the world. Yep, let's stick with that right. One. So that right now is EMR systems are not designed for patient care. EMR systems are designed for billing. Yeah, no doubt. Okay, right there, we've got a big issue. It is not patient-centric. It's pay-centric. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. I'm glad you said it. Right. So when you start to look at that, and let's look at our GPs. If the technology exists right now where through passive monitoring, Mm -hmm. I can put a patch on you or your child and I can get roughly five to seven biometrics off of you. I could then have that information onto a receiver in your house. This exists already. I could then get those five to seven biometrics and I can now have my GP, when I walk into her, into my GP, she doesn't have to put a stethoscope on me, an analog stethoscope. She already has, over the last six months, wow. a download of all the data. So I'm data empowering data. the patient and the clinician together in their own healthcare. So I'm giving you biometrics. I'm walking in. I already have a picture. And I can actually sit across from you now and look in your eyes as an empathetic caregiver and patient to doctor relationship on how it used to be versus the doctor now is fixated on taking a couple biometrics. When was the last time you went to a GP and got your blood taken? Never. Oh, never. Yeah. Meanwhile, it's the lifeblood, no pun intended, of everything that happens in our body. Yeah. Yet 
It's not examined. Right. The doctor is getting a moment in time on my heart rate, my respiration rate when I walk into her office. Yeah. So why don't I kill that monster when, when most tiny? people are the most anxious? Yeah, forget about BP. Yeah. And forget about me taking NyQuil <laughs> the day before and driving up my BP artificially. Right, right. And we're not even talking about chronic care here. We're talking about just John Q. Public walking into the doctor's office. This is all coming back to your question about what does this mean for the medical device tax? We've got bigger fish to fry than medtech tax. The big med tech companies, you know, we talked about it. Teladoc now is bigger than Zimmer, market cap. Yeah. Bigger than Smith & Nephew. Bigger than Fresenius. They're relative babies in the med tech industry. Yeah, it's all brand new. Well, they've yeah. been around for a long time, but really their model's relatively new. Okay. So what you're going to see now is you're going to start to see this incredible acceleration of technology. Yeah. What you've got to look at right now is up until March of 2020, we respond to what we get rewarded with, as mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. Right. We can no longer appear virtually in person any longer on elective surgeries, right, in the near future, in go see our GP. And if I'm chronic, I already have a high risk factor for me to walk into any doctor's office. So if I'm a diabetic or if I have heart failure, right, I am a high risk factor given the world we're living in today. Mm -hmm. What that is forced is for people to look at and go, okay, how am I still going to get paid? How am I still going to get paid? Payers get paid to hedge risk. If you really want to look at the healthcare system, they're getting paid in order to hedge the risk on what am I going to pay for? What am I not going to pay for? That's really what they do. If you introduce the way for me to get an earlier intervention to avoid a catastrophic or deeply sort of acute event in a hospital, those payers are going to listen to you. Now we've got this intervention of COVID and we only respond, we only harden the target as a country. Once it's attacked, mm -hmm. we had it with 9-11, we had it with the mortgage failure. We started to put legislation and controls in place only after something's attacked. We hardened the target. We just had our entire healthcare system attacked on so many levels. Right. You are now going to start to see this convergence of all these big tech companies coming in. The med tech companies have no capabilities of doing anything digitally. Zero capability. Right, even over 5G. They don't have tech in-house. They don't have the brain trust in-house in order to gather data. Again, this is in relative terms to big tech. Right, but that, that's also a failure of the EMR. Because the EMR, one of the initial outputs of that was to have free data. EMR is for billing purposes, not patient care. And EMR also doesn't aggregate data for the intention of better informing the clinician. EMR is only existing at its carbon base for billing reasons. But today, yeah. But the, one of the original outputs of that was that it was, that's what it was supposed to do. But that's not what it's doing. I know that's not what it's that's doing. That's not what it's doing. That's one of the failure points of the EMR system as it's presenting itself today. The failure point is an EMR. The failure point is the aggregation sharing of data for a better informed decision earlier in a disease state. That's where the failure is. The other point of the EMR that's not working well is that you have proprietary software with every different vendor that comes into the hospital that can't communicate. Of course. And is. that's a massive hole. And that's where the CIO is going to play a huge role in these companies working together and saying, okay, here's what and how we need to do all this. This is a village that's going to have to impact the level of care, where the care is given, when you receive it, and how you receive it. Right. EMR, my opinion, EMR as a fulcrum point in the health tech industry will be gone in five years. 
Completely. Completely gone. (laughs) Exactly. Will be completely gone. And now what you're going to be able to do is why should the level of care be predicated on where I live in this world? Let alone this, let's just say this country, the heck with the world right now, but Mm -hmm. it's, it's a fair question. Why should I get better care because I live near a bigger city? That's a bunch of crap. But it's true. Yeah, of course it is. Yeah. Or when, access to someone, just to talk to someone at the consultant. When we have the ability right now to have one, I mean, this is an extreme. We should have one thought center where all the data is aggregated and have our AI and our machine learning and our ability to take in information even before I get to a hospital or an mm-hmm. ASC or even my doctor's office. So at home, why am I not gathering that data passively and then putting that into a database? So I start my life on a 23andMe. I spit into a cup. Yep. I get a baseline what I am potentially at risk for from a genetic perspective, right? Genetics loads the gun, lifestyle fires it. Sure. So we figure out what is in the chamber genetically. We then can passively monitor me from the age of three months with a little Band-Aid on me all the way up to the day I die. And hopefully it's, depending on my quality of life, sometime over 100 years old. Mm -hmm. And I'm aggregating data every single day. I know what I'm predisposed for genetically. I then can, from a caregiving perspective, give guidance as to, listen, you're preloaded for melanoma. You're preloaded for congestive heart failure. You're preloaded, insert disease here, type 2 diabetes, right? (laughs) I may have to steal that one from you or borrow it. What's that? Uh, insert disease here. Insert disease here, <laughs> right? So if I already know what I'm predetermined for, and then also based upon my diet, mm-hmm. right? So Amazon knows what I eat. But that, that's what I mean, though, right? I keep going back to this point because I frankly can't get past it and mixing Facebook into this conversation. Yeah. There is on the digital side right now because of what happened on the election, okay? Mm-hmm. Just the distrust because right now you mm-hmm. have. Let's just keep it two sides. Republicans mm-hmm. think they were cheated and Democrats think they won. But if it flips, both sides are going to do the same thing. So the trust factor is probably zero, especially when you look at the, the media and everything else. So mm-hmm. if you are constantly collecting that data, what's stopping the insurance companies from saying? Fair question. You know, and, and you're going to have that anyway. Anytime you aggregate massive amounts of data. Now, mm-hmm. to that point, if when you go on Amazon, they know where you live. They know how much money you make. They know how much your house is worth. They have your credit card number. They know your spending habits. Yep. They know how much exercise equipment you buy. They know how much toilet paper you buy, right? So they can <laughs> they can take that and using AI and algorithms, there's a pretty good ability to determine most likely what I'm predisposed for from a disease state. Mm-hmm. It's pretty good. They, they can do that already. Right. So I don't think I need to worry too much about them taking my data. Deeper question. Yeah. Deeper question. Got a beautiful home. I'm sure. Thank you. Yeah. You basically told everything to the bank in order to buy this house. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. Everything. Yeah. And the other ones that I bought and sold previous to that. Everything. Everything. All that information is sitting there. Did you ever worry about that getting to your healthcare provider? Uh, actually, yes. Okay. So you're an outlier. I can probably bet that most of the people listening to this podcast right now never signed that document at closing and said, I wonder if Aetna is going to get this and realize that, right? It's a question that comes up. All the time. All the time. Right. Um, I think it's a tinfoil hat question, quite honestly. Yeah. It's it's like, well, of course, anything that you speak 
on the internet can and will be not used against you, but will be aligned with you. I don't even need to be on the internet. We've got court cases where the iPhone was sitting at the hot tub right before he drowned her in the hot tub, and you could pull that information off of the phone. We can thank Ed Snowden for that one, for bringing all that information to us. I think you can look at this and find out all the reasons why this might not make sense. So would you like to have the economy driven off the road by continuing to cripple the U.S. economy with healthcare from a rearview mirror facing perspective? Mm -hmm. Here's what I know to be true. Amazon, Google, Facebook, Samsung, IBM, Apple. Two to three of those are going to be in the top eight med tech, health tech category, dominating the space in the next five years. End of story. End of story. And if you think- Who do you think is winning right now or leading the race? Uh, you know, they're all in different categories. So, you know, you can look at Teladoc and Teladoc's got the lock on virtual <laughs> engagement right now. You can look at Google on the just pure ability to gather data, like pure bread ability. And Amazon is by far the best supply chain company other than the U.S. military ever built throughout history. Yeah. And they have PillPack, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, you've got Halo, right? And you've got these other monitoring capabilities. I think Amazon's going to own the monitoring business and the delivery last mile business. I think Google is going to own the information business. Mm -hmm. And there's a, there's a reason for all that. And I think Facebook is going to own the community business because they already do. Where's Apple? Apple right now, I think, is going to be more in the passive sort of patient human monitoring business, meaning mm -hmm. they're a hardware company. Amazon is a distribution channel. Think of it this way. Yep. Facebook is a connector in a community. And Google is the algorithm. And Google is a data machine, mm -hmm. right? Healthcare moving forward, again, MedTech has the beachfront property. They know how to interact with the FDA. And they know how to interact with the patient. I don't know how much those companies want to have their business tied to the FDA because it's as bad as the IRS. Once they yeah. start pulling the string, things start to fall <clears throat> apart. Right. Here's the beauty about med tech, health tech moving forward. No longer is it going to be owned by the medical device companies. It is now going to be a convergence of expertise. There is no way that any one company or category can own healthcare. We are now going to start to understand that we're going to create this village of participants. And you're going to see Google partnering with Amazon, partnering with Samsung. I can see that. It's yeah. absolutely going to happen. And you know what's <clears throat> at risk right now is classic med tech because it's going to be left. The fumes coming out the back yeah. in order for you to get the surgery, they're still going to own that. But do you know how big that market is, Scott? Think about Airbnb for a second. This is a great example. Airbnb, when people first looked at it, could look at it and say, okay, are we going to cannibalize the hotel business? But instead, what did they do? Mm -hmm. They created a bigger market. Right. So they didn't just go after the people <clears throat> staying in hotels. They actually created a larger lodging market by giving access to lower cost services via technology. Okay. So this is just like what pharmaceutical had done to the alternative supplementation business, people didn't want the pharmaceutical therapies and they went 
interest and that market went way, way, way up. They created a larger market. So healthcare is no longer going to be episodic care, Mm -hmm. brick and mortar, and only treating an acute situation. That's the market that everybody looks at right now. Healthcare now is going to get this broad because I'm going to now start to own the bookends. I'm going to go to every human being and work on their health intervention before it becomes catastrophic. And on the post side, after I get out of surgery, God forbid I have to go there, or in management of chronic care, which is 180 million Americans out of 330 million. So that percentage of our population all have a chronic care situation now. Managing that chronic care is outside of medical devices, classic power curve, other than the diabetic market. And the diabetic market is only tied to in med tech monitoring, not preventive or interventional early Mm -hmm. or post in regards to education. And this is where the Google, the Amazon, and the Facebook come Mm into managing the healthcare continuum. That's going to happen during the Biden administration. This is going to go back to the the original question. It doesn't matter what the medical exit, I mean, that was just a fluff. Because it's the new market spaces, the bookends. It's a different market space Yeah, altogether. If you ask that question that you asked, which is a great question, what is this administration going to do with the medical tax? That is the smallest question on the table right now for the medical device players. The medical device players right now ought to say, holy cow, there's a much bigger market than me treating the patient in the doctor's office, in the OR. Now, you see a lot of these CEOs mm-hmm. in the med tech space. Mm-hmm. Do they recognize this? Well, sure, they recognize it. Yeah. Here's the challenge is... Because they just can't drop hat and go to a SaaS type of a No, they offering. can't. And, and historically, if it hasn't been made here, it's not worth doing. Mm-hmm. Right? You can see this with robotic companies. I'm not going to say who the robotic companies are, but the companies that bought <clears throat> orthopedic robots through some of the best implants that were made to work with that robot in the garbage to only sell that robot with their implants. Right. There are med tech companies right now that are robotic companies that in the orthopedic space, you can ask them to buy their robot. They will not sell you a robot unless you sign up for a certain amount <laughs> of their implants. I know. I know. Right. Yeah. That's the same with a lot of this quote unquote bundling. Mm-hmm. That entire bundling scenario is going to be at risk too because we need to have that open architecture. Asking what are these big-time CEOs, they know this is a risk, but they don't have an infrastructure or How long do they really think they're going to be around though if they don't get into the software game? Same question you could ask for the horse trader who had bought in a 1,000 horses before the Model T came along, right? When all you know is that and you, mm-hmm. you're, a, you're a $100 billion a year company – how do you make a U-turn with that? Yeah, you right. I love what Jeff's doing right now with Medtronic. Jeff is decentralizing the organization more than anybody else. I think he's on the right just, path. Just so everyone knows, and for the audience, Medtronic is the largest med tech company in the United States. $154 billion market cap. How do you know that? Because they have the highest volume of FedEx, UPS, <laughs> USPS shipments out there. And they have also the best rates, for that mm-hmm. matter. If you ever looked at their rates, I mean... It would make a lot of people angry. Is it cost someone thirty dollars to send the grandchild something Supply like yeah, if it cost them maybe. it cost them eight bucks. Supply <laughs> demand. <laughs> but that that's really scary. So think about this. You just talked about an analog function. Mm-hmm. They're shipping devices to an OR. Right. And that is their model. And the bigger market right now 
is the digital engagement, the digital empowerment, the preemptive and post. Those are the biggest markets and actually much larger than the $600 billion of medtech industry. So let me ask you a question as a CEO of one of the best talent acquisition companies that are out there. They're virtualizing consultants and hospitals. Mm -hmm. What do you do? How do you adjust? Because when people ask me, I said, look, you, you should probably start to pivot now. Mm -hmm. So in two years, three years, when it actually starts becoming to real fruition, when they figured it all out, mm -hmm. and all the numbers and what you think you're making now, you will not be making in two, three years. What do you do? What are you seeing now with that? With all, all that being said, yeah. because again, if it's that data driven, there is no other way. Because if you can have a doctor, your primary care physician, mm -hmm. virtually, mm -hmm. Then, I mean, I know, uh, you know, Dennis Kogan, Care Syntax, mm -hmm. right? I saw the episode that you did with them, mm -hmm. and they're looking at virtualizing the wrap, the implant mm -hmm. wrap, and they have a model for it. And it's mm -hmm. a very good model. It's a very good model. And I was like, wow. So I never really thought of it that way. Mm -hmm. yeah. And they're giving a rebate back to the hospital at the same time, incentivizing sure. them, right? Sure. Because that drives behaviors, right. rewards, right? Of course. Always. So one thing won't happen is the rep who adds clinical value at the bedside. So you're going to have to look at it, and it's going to creep into it, is if you're selling a commodity But look, but look at intuitive, too. Intuitive is well overloaded with people that probably don't need to be inside the OR. I'll leave that judgment to the surgeons, and I'll leave that judgment to the requirements by the FDA on, on some of the devices in order for certain things to happen in the OR. There sometimes needs to be a rep there. Sure. Okay. So if you're looking at your career as a salesperson right now in med tech, you know, you've got an analog on that. You can look at the pharmaceutical business and you can look at the CRM business in mm -hmm. medical device. 15 years ago, maybe a little less, a CRM rep, cardiac rhythm management rep, four, five, six hundred thousand a year as a rep. Yep. It was one of the best jobs to have. Yeah. And it was really respectfully order taking. Now they're lucky if they can break 125. Exactly. Yeah. So there's, there's one <clears throat> example. Pharmaceutical. Everybody out of college, when I got out in 1980, gives you how old I am, everybody wanted to be a farmer rep because farmer reps were making a lot of money. Right. Farmer reps right now are non-existent in regards to making money over, for the most part, $100,000, $125,000 a year yeah. right? versus what they used to make. So it's a commodity <clears throat> business. And there's a large part of med tech that is, if I was going to be in the industry, I would be looking at the digital players that need the sort of disease state expertise, because that's where the gap's going to be. The large tech companies don't have that expertise. When you look mm. at the CMOs that they're all bringing in, they're bringing CMOs out of Stanford University who you know, are, are MDs, PhDs, and practicing. But what they don't have at that secondary and tertiary level is a knowledge of the marketplace. Mm -hmm. Right. right. They yep. just don't have it. They have it. Yeah. Nope. And so I think I would start creeping in early there, or I would lose my job as a salesperson. If, if I'm at a college right now, or if I'm five years into med tech, I don't know if I would hang in there as a sales rep for five. Oh, me. yeah. It's, it's done. I, I would yeah. get out of it. And I, you know where I would go? I would go on the clinical side of the bus. Because one of the best jobs to get at a university right now is to get involved in clinical. Okay. Like at the PA. Going right through med school itself or? No. Bachelor's degree in history. I would go to a CRO, clinical research organization, or I would look for one of the big players that are looking for somebody to be out in the field that you will teach either cardiology to or neurology to or peripheral vascular to. And I would start doing clinical trials. Clinical trials are never going to go away. 
Right. Now, what they're going to get impact by is real-world evidence, real-world data. There are organizations that right now that are being built around that in order to shorten the time to market on clinical evidence. Mm -hmm. But if I'm a sales guy or sales girl right now, I'm getting into clinical. So now, okay, let me not reboot this question a little bit, but let me go backwards a little bit. So now you have a lot of the major med tech companies are growth by acquisition. You know this. You've spoken about it. And you you about a year ago, I remember you spoke about – how that occurs, and yet the primary company buying company B dissolves it, one, either just to get the competition out of the way, mm-hmm. or they destroy it by mm-hmm. accident, <laughs> <laughs> right, by accident, and then what happens there at the same time? Mm-hmm. So how is the Apples, the Googles, the Amazons, the IBMs, the Dells of the world who own the big data trees, and they're going to have their lane? Mm-hmm. How are they going to grow? You're assuming that the market's a zero-sum game. So they're not coming in to take a surgical procedure away pound for pound from a Medtronic or a JJ. But at some point, don't you believe that those big companies are going to try to take a little bit of market share from each other? I know right now they have to share because they have to get you're, something you're else to You're going to eliminate procedures. Okay. So I'm going to take a procedure off the table if I'm Amazon. I'm going to take a procedure off the table if I'm Facebook or Google mm-hmm. because I'm never going to allow the patient to get to the procedure because I'm going to collect enough data on that patient in order to make an early in the sort of disease state adjustment so you never get to that acute situation where you're sitting on the table and you've got to have a stent put in. Belief, imagination, physiology. Yeah. And... I'm drawing the blank to the last one, but in that cycle, going back, I'll come to me in a moment. If you have all this data being collected and you Mm -hmm. have a computer Mm -hmm. or an assumption of a belief system, Mm -hmm. right? Which then, and then I'm sorry, ease the experience. So belief, imagination, physiology, experience, and Mm -hmm. you repeat that cycle over and over and over. Now you, what if it's, you were incorrectly diagnosed? No, I wasn't incorrectly diagnosed. You you were correctly diagnosed? I was correctly diagnosed with heart failure. But do you believe you have heart failure? Empirically, I do based on every bit of clinical evidence. Are you taking meds? Yeah. And ACE inhibitors, beta blockers, whole bunch of stuff. Yeah. 14 pills a day. Wow. That's a lot. So my point is if someone, if it was misdiagnosed, which happens a lot. Okay. And you put a, a false belief system in, in, and that just runs rampant as it goes down the line. Okay. Where are the fail safes? Well, data is great if it's correct, but if it's incorrect, you create another set of problems. That's a good question. It even increases the value of ongoing passive monitoring on the human being. The more data I have, right, assuming the algorithm is written correctly, mm-hmm. the more data I have on anything, the more precise I can be with my decision making. Sure. So right now, you are more apt to have an incorrect diagnosis than in the future-facing world. Okay. Because right now the diagnosis that's happening is I'm walking in and Billy Bob, the doctor, had a bender on the weekend. Mm-hmm. And he is not up to it on Monday morning when I'm sitting in there. And I'm going in there and now all of a sudden Billy Bob misses three or four biometrics that might have intervened early on my heart failure. I went through nine months of doctor's visits before... I fell off a bike in Mallorca, Spain, passed out with a syncope event, and had to be flown back to the States here to be diagnosed with heart failure. Nobody diagnosed it, and it was going on for a long time. Wow. Okay? But what was interesting, though, 
I was a highly competitive cyclist and I was training six days a week, pushing my heart to 180 beats per minute as a time trialist, beating the shit out of my heart. And I noticed when I got on the bike, and I'll never forget this, that my heart rate jumped really quickly at one point. And I actually sent the information to a good friend of mine, Dan Burkoff, who was one of the top heart failure guys in the world. Mm-hmm. And I sent it to Dan, never forget it. And Dan looks at it and goes, how you feeling? I'm like, I'm feeling great, Dan. He goes, it's a little weird that it's jumping, but if you're feeling good, let's not worry about it. Now, right. Dan did that as a friend, not as a physician. Yeah. But that Garmin had data because my ejection fraction rate was compromised. So instead of having a pumping cycle like boom, 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 it was boom, 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 boom. Because it couldn't get enough blood out, so it was shortening the stroke. Mm-hmm. That was sitting on a Garmin device, which is passive monitoring, that is not FDA cleared. That would have been an incredible value today in 2020 versus 2014 for somebody to look at and go, wait a second, your heart rate is way too high for the world-class athlete that you are. That makes no sense. Let us take a chest x-ray or let us take a, a BMP mm-hmm. a blood test, Right. So if I've got more data in a longitudinally accurate model, mm-hmm. I'm going to better diagnose you. I'm not going to misdiagnose you. I'm not going to miss something. I'm going to be able to get that monster when he or she's tiny. I wouldn't have a syncope event. I wouldn't have a, an ICD planted in the side of me. They would have got it way before the syncope event. They would have told me to rest. They might have put an impella device in my heart to offload the heart for a while and let it rest. And the heart would have gotten okay. Mm. And none of that would have intervened. And it probably wouldn't have cost the healthcare system a quarter million dollars in treatment. That much money. 40 million bucks. Plus, probably. Because I'm still seeing a heart failure specialist. I'm seeing an EP. I'm taking massive amounts of medication. Mm -hmm. That's your classic example. And I had a passive monitoring device sitting there Mm -hmm. telling me that all the time. Wow. Wow. So that's how you don't misdiagnose. That's how you kill the monster when it's tiny before you get to an acute event. So I understand all that and I understand the prevention side of it. Yeah. I don't expect you to, to answer this one. This, this is a twister and not on purpose. If you talk to the Tom Cohen's of the world and, and that genre of doctors, they will tell you that the medical book of disease, mm-hmm. 85% or higher, mm-hmm. and they're being generous. Mm-hmm. Don't even know what causes X. Mm-mm. X could be insert mm-hmm. disease, mm-hmm. and that's where it keeps going back to the data. So mm-hmm. and I'm all about the data because mm-hmm. I think it's useful mm-hmm. and it's needed. But the omnidirectional information, just like the vending partners that are inside the hospitals are not sharing information openly and willingly yeah. with the EMR because yeah. the original intent was to make sure that they can concatenate all that information mm-hmm. and go, boom, here's what's happening. Mm-hmm. Here's where your highs are. Here's mm-hmm. where your lows are. Mm-hmm. Here's where you spend the money. Here's yep. where you can save. Instead, it's it's a payment system yeah, because they couldn't figure it out. Or they didn't want to figure it out. Bang. So look, we're, right. we're in the midst of something right now. And in the, in the history of <laughs> medicine, I don't care what your belief system is on a vaccine, but we're in the middle of COVID. And from go, in eight months – we are coming up with a vaccine. Yeah. You know how we did that? We had convergence of multiple stakeholders. Mm-hmm. We had massive amounts of data. We aggregated that data as a full team, right? Operation Warp Speed. Mm-hmm. Nobody was in this at first to make a buck. They were in this to solve a problem that was basically crippling the world. And we may very well, depends, 
by the middle of December, have a vaccine on the market that is only built by an open architecture, the sharing of information, the massive computing power we have today, aggressive clinical trials where the FDA has allowed via an EUA or whatever it is, has dropped the bar on certain things. And all of this is having the entire healthcare community go, hold on a second. Let's solve the problem first with the vaccine. What can we learn from this situation in the healthcare model? And this is a beautiful snapshot in time to see what convergence and sort of tribal support. And that's where med devices in a really compromised scenario right now. They forever, if it's not made here, we don't want any interest in it. We're an analog functional company. And don't tell me that they're sharing data because they're not. They're not. Absolutely not. Not not sharing data or even capturing it and using it. I mean, you know, endoscopy companies, endoscopy companies, they have a terabyte or more local recording device in every OR in America. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know how much data is on that that's mm-hmm. not being extracted and shared mm-hmm. and used mm-hmm. and utilized? Yep. No, I know. I know. <laughs> it's you criminal. Know, you know, you talked about our friend Dennis Kogan, right? We could talk about Proximy with Nadine Hashash Haram, right? These organizations that are now going to be in the OR capturing all this data and then sharing it, putting up to a cloud, and then being able to have all that information to extract. Mm. But you can't look at that with an old model in mind. Sure. Because that's where the whole equation falls apart. If you look at that with an old model, it'll continually fall apart. Who's going to win the cloud game? Because right now, either it's a local repository. Non-MedTech. Non-MedTech. So you have Bright Insight out there. Great company. Look it up. It's an interesting model. So Flex, which is a big contract manufacturer medical device, who usually will make injection molding, plastics, electronic assemblies, et cetera. They're a contract manufacturer for the classic med device console extruded tubing for a catheter. Mm-hmm. A couple of years ago, they said, wait a second, everything's going digital. What if we became the contract manufacturer for the cloud? Right. What if we had the experts in cyber? What if we had the experts in security? So you don't think AWS is going to take that over with Amazon? I don't think there's going to be a single player in it. Okay. I think there'll be a cloud, mm-hmm. right? Because med tech can't do cloud. They would need to have hundreds of software engineers on their staff Mm -hmm. to keep both security, cyber, new product development, et cetera. They're not wired that way. Med device is primarily a mechanical, make a widget, put it out in the market. We had John Marullo on the show. He was a med rep for 30 plus years. Mm -hmm. He retired. He left Miami on his way over to Oregon. And he passed by here. So he spilled the beans. He was like, here's what's happening. This is what's going on. Here's what I'm seeing at the field level, et cetera. I said, okay, so what's happening with AWS? He goes, Scott, the algorithm's already designed. It's already sure there. It is. And I'm like, okay. I mean, what does it look like? What does it feel like? With AWS and those other companies coming in, are they going to be able to share openly? Yeah, they're going to have that be an open architecture. Here's why. That will be HIPAA compliant as well then. 100%. Yeah. 100%. You're going to have to look at it like it's a utility. So- mm-hmm. You don't make your own electricity out back in the house here. You could, but you don't. You don't get your own water from your roof. You could. Then it was about into a barrel. Right? right? You could. <laughs> medical device companies are not cloud companies. They're medical device companies. Data companies are cloud companies. Mm-hmm. Or they're smart enough to know not to try and make their own cloud. This is the interesting thing about tech companies is they know what they're good at and they know what they're not good at. Right. Yep. And they're not going to do their own cloud. The cloud is going to be utility. They're going to be open architecture. Here's why. Startups moving forward 
I would say I think the number is more than 60% of the emerging tech startups in health tech are digitally related. They're not making devices anymore. Mm. Those companies need to have a quote unquote contract manufacturer who can offer them a digital platform for their connected device, whether it's a drug, a swallowable pill, uh, an implant, uh, whatever it is, it's going to have intelligence assigned to it. Those emerging tech startup companies could not even raise enough money, let alone have enough expertise on their team in order to facilitate that connectivity to all the data. You're going to have companies that are only going to be data aggregators on a cloud platform, whether it's going to be Intuitive, who is the big player right now in digital and medtech, or, you know, Sally's medtech The amount of information that Intuitive has has to be monstrous. And it's, it's a drop in the sea relative to what data is going to come in the next 24 months in the health tech industry. A drop in the sea. Really? Because Intuitive's information is not going to inform us how to stop disease. Intuitive's information is how to do a better procedure while you're in the OR already, which is a smaller sample. I have 330 million people I can get information on about their health. Mm -hmm. What does Intuitive do? 10,000 surgeries, 20,000 surgeries a quarter? I don't know what the number is. And all they're doing is getting data off an already sick person who's in an OR on a technique for the doctor. It's not informing me how to keep you out of the OR. It's not informing me how to keep you out of the OR for the second time after you come out of the OR. Yep. That data is that's going- That's the bookend. That's going to be the main story though. Yeah. Before Right now, you can call it a bookend. Mm-hmm. In the next three to five years, it's going to be the main story. And surgery is going to be the exception from the capital- the big cap of health tech. Wow. So who's nervous in these med tech companies? Every single big med tech company should be crapping their pants right now. Yeah, I agree. And they should be, they are engaged in conversation. Here's the issue though. It's easier to create culture than to change culture. You need to repeat that again. It's the, easier, that's a profound statement. It's you said. easier to create culture than to change culture. Yeah, agreed. We have got organizations that are making tens of billions of dollars a year on a culture that's already been set. The emerging health tech marketplace, and I purposely call it health tech, not med tech. Med tech is a subset of health tech. Mm -hmm. The emerging health tech marketplace resembles very little about what the med tech marketplace looks like today. Hmm. And if I am the CEO or I'm an EVP or I'm even a director, Everything I'm doing today in a medical device company, for the most part, is antiquated legacy practice. That is scary. Yeah. So they should all be concerned until they, and again, this is my supposition. I think Jeff Martha at Medtronic is the very first mover early in the game on digital. Jeff gets it. You can look on LinkedIn. He's the most visible CEO in MedTech on LinkedIn. Jeff also came out of as close to digital as Medtronic would ever get or any MedTech company would get out Mm -hmm. of the division he came out of. Jeff also has decentralized the organization. He's allowing... But that's happened before, not with Medtronic, but that's happened with other large uh, companies before where they decentralized and they've come back together and they separated again. No, they decentralized P&L. They did not decentralize innovation. Gotcha. Okay. Well said. All right. Decentralizing innovation is different than decentralizing P&L. Mm-hmm. 
I think that you're going to have a couple of these. I, my, my biggest fear is that there's going to be some great medical devices and medical device people who are going to be left out in the cold in the next three to five years due to the big players not entering into the digital partnership because it's foreign. Example, I'm a fan of J&J. I love what they do for healthcare. Good company. Great company. They don't play well in the sandbox with others if you are not J&J. Why would they? They own significant market share in certain categories and they don't need to. In a rear-facing environment, right. that's a fair statement. Yeah. But the game has changed. The game is spun on its head. When you have yeah. sitting at the table. Okay. So, look, uh, let's give this a simple analogy. Your phone, my phone, the both iPhones. Your adapter, you can't find a download button or the word download. Well, actually, that's not true anymore. It actually isn't Safari. But you can't download a document on Android if you want to on iOS. You just mm -hmm. can't do it. If they switch from a lightning connector, which is proprietary, which is holding them in a sandbox, mm -hmm. every other product that they have in their hardware category uses USB-C, which is open digital. The iPhone, the best-selling product that the world has ever seen, mm -hmm. does not. <laughs> right. Here's one of the things to think about. That's not false. Here's one of the things to think about. You're talking about a consumer product. Right. You could iterate every two years. As soon as you get the FDA involved, it's almost like the military. Mill standards, FDA. You want to make a change on a medical device that interacts with the patient? That is not easy to do. Yeah. You've five, got clinical K, issues. You've URLs. got regulatory filings. Mm -hmm. You've got a barrier there. So that barrier is to entry or to exit. Most medical device companies have a barrier to exit based on their business model. Huh. Because they're locked in. They're locked in. They have to do it now. They're at this locked point. in. Mm -hmm. And so this is where this whole dynamic is changing. And they're not an open architecture mindset. The emerging world of health tech is going to be an open architecture mindset. And it's going to require very real partnerships between the big med tech companies, the big tech companies. Here's the key, though. The big tech companies are more accustomed to collaboration when it comes to data. Med tech companies don't have a lot of experience with data and are not good playing outside their sandbox. So two-part question for yeah. you here, okay? And this is, uh, I'm really interested in what you have to say on this. Why so long did it take them to understand or realize the change that, that's needed and re now required moving forward? And then why is this still slow adoption? I mean, we talked a little bit earlier about modular buildings. If healthcare is going to expand as rapidly as it is, mm -hmm. in my head, I'm like, well, they, they need to have a building up, pre-engineered, pre-manufactured, everything needs to go up, bang, done. We're not even thinking about it. It needs to be able to serve and walk in and do what they need to do. Mm -hmm. The adoption rate on technology like that, when it's been existent mm -hmm. uh, in the world somewhere else, mm -hmm. as well as other parts of healthcare mm -hmm. or health tech, slow adoption rate because people are fearful. I had Nate, you and I, he's in supply chain. He's the uh, vice president of supply chain at University of Miami Healthcare. Mm -hmm. And I said, why? He's like, they're afraid. Do you mean medtech? Well, the administrators in the sure hospitals, they they're, they're afraid. But, and, but they can't afford to be afraid. Well, if it's really going to adapt and change the way you're talking about it, they can't afford to be, well, they're going to miss. Well, they're human beings. They want to defend their car payment. They want to defend their private school for their kid. They want to defend their job. Most executives are above 55 years old. They're not digital natives. They don't understand the dynamic of the market coming. They historically have been an analog function, a non-connected environment. 
So you're now asking to take a arguably a world-class third baseman and asking him to be quarterback in the NFL. It's a different game. It's a different athlete. And so as humans, we're going to totally defend where we make our money, where we have our security. So that's one thing. Mm -hmm. The second thing is, is we just had a moment in time that we are going to be able to demark and say, you have healthcare after COVID and before COVID. Just like we had air travel and security before 9-11 and after 9-11. Yeah. All those technologies that came in. I'm going back to, we harden a target after it's attacked. Mm -hmm. You could not get reimbursement for virtual engagement with your clinician. Massachusetts, I think, was the first state commonwealth to yeah. do that, right? Mm -hmm. There was no way that was going to get pushed through. There was no possible way that was ever going to get pushed through probably in the next 10 or 15 years. You've got these people who don't have the skill sets. They're not digital natives. The organizations around them would cause more to disrupt what they're doing now than to enable it. Then you've got these big players on the outside who are experts at interacting with the consumer, creating a frictionless, enjoyable. Here, here's something that MedTech does not do or hospitals, an enjoyable exchange. And health tech, no, sir. A frictionless environment. We've all waited in the doctor's office for two hours. Oh, gosh. Right? Yeah. An empowered consumer. Biggest pet peeve ever. An empowered consumer. Not possible in med tech. The three things that big tech do extraordinarily well is play the consumer, reduce friction, add tremendous value, and give them information. You could not get your own patient records if you tried. You have a better chance of taking all of your money out of your bank leaving the country than you do of getting your medical records. Correct. So, so <laughs> that's, that's a true statement. But, but that's, this is where I'm going to the monolithic hospital-driven healthcare industry, mm -hmm. the medical device manufacturers. And this is not a knock against the medical device manufacturers. This is a wake-up call for where the industry is rapidly going. I love this industry more than anything in the world. I've done it for 30 years. I've been embraced by the industry. It's been incredibly generous to me. I've seen and helped develop some of the coolest technologies of all time. This is not a knock on the industry. This is a wake-up call to the industry. I know they understand this is coming, but understanding it and actionably moving towards it are two entirely different things. Let's go back to the beginning. We started off with the Affordable Care Act, and I don't care about the administrations either. I mean, we all lived through it, and everyone thought it was the end of the world, and it's not. We're still living here. Everything's fine, right? right. How does this all, all this has to change? And so as the new deployment mm -hmm. of healthcare, it really is a new deployment of mm -hmm. healthcare mm -hmm. rolling out, mm -hmm. where is going to be their hyper-focus at a national level? Mm -hmm. let's, let's just work there for and then we'll trickle down. Yeah, I think it's a fair question because that, right. that's what most folks want to know because they're like, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? And then you have politicians being politicians. Mm -hmm. No mm -hmm. one cares about the politicians. They only want to know, how am I going to be taken care of? Mm -hmm. Again, simple stuff, but it's like. I was on the phone with uh, Dr. Peter Fitzgerald yesterday, Fitz and I, who's great, great friend and a great addition to the medtech industry and probably one of the digital geniuses is where it's do? going. I don't know him. Peter Fitzgerald is MD, probably one of the smarter businessmen who came out of Stanford and practice and a venture capitalist. And he runs a fund out of Israel called TriVentures, he and Mikhail Geva. And Peter has been beating the digital drum for probably about a decade now before anybody else was. And he was right the whole way. He was just open-minded. He wasn't right. We were talking about 
the platforms of Google, Amazon, Facebook. And we were talking about bringing healthcare to the circle around you, meaning your SIG other, the people who care about you, the people who love you, your neighbors even, in order to help you be compliant and become a better health candidate. And I looked at it and I'm like, wait a minute, that's the socialization of healthcare. Yep. But I'm not talking about the socialization like Canada, where yeah. it's social yeah, medicine. I'm glad you defined that. All right. Yeah. It's the socialization of the human slash consumer slash patient and empowering that person and everyone around them to be able to intervene early and make sure they're compliant. And again, we're talking about chronic disease right now, especially. I can't do anything against a car accident. I can't do anything against me. Yeah, trauma is trauma. Trauma is trauma, right? right? But I'm talking about what's crippling us right now is that chronic 180 million people in our world or that time bomb inside me that genetically was implanted thanks to previous generations Mm -hmm. that will stay dormant or will jump out and punch me in the gut based on lifestyle choices. And rarely, Scott, is it a single event that's like, oh, all of a sudden, right? you have cancer. Yeah. It creeps up and it has all kinds of signals. Cancer, for everyone, Ben Azadi, uh, he does a, a great podcast, but he had, I uh, forget the name, I'll have to look up, we'll put it in the podcast notes, but he had a podcast about three to four weeks ago where if you're presented with cancer, it started 10 years ago, 12 years ago. Correct. And moment. I would have found that if I yeah. had passive monitoring, <clears throat> highly likely it would have... It was a much better opportunity of me finding it out versus me having a PSA test or versus me, right? If I have passive monitoring early in- Israeli company, by the way, uh, there's an Israeli company that has identified, because prostate cancer in men is very obviously very high in this country, uh, through a urine test, Mm -hmm. 99.9% accurate, just by peeing on a stick. Sure, sure. (laughs) But you would rather get tested that way once a week. Your wife would have, and again, this goes back to answering my question. You've got the little strips there next to the thing. You're like, honey, did you piss on the strip? Right. No, this is the community, and then this is the ease, and this is the digital. Mm -hmm. And sitting in the bathroom is a reader, a digital reader, that can pick up that information or with a, a visual engine. There's a company called Gauss Surgical out there out of California. Sid Satish started it. And- they're using visual technology to do a read on a litmus test almost and be able to tell you if you have COVID or not. They've got an EUA uh, coming in, I think, any day now on the COVID test. My point is, is I can go ahead and put a monitor on you or in your house or a Band-Aid on you that will allow me to know when I fall outside of the control limits of what I'm predisposed to. Who will be those companies that enter the household? Oh, they're and- already in. What do you mean going to enter? Well, they're, they're already in. Amazon's in. Facebook is in. Are you talking about the Alexa, the in. portals, all those? Those machines will do that? I don't know if those machines will do it, mm-hmm. but we already are allowing them in our house. I know that, but, well. So I don't know who those, it's, it's, it will be one of those because the company that ends up creating that capability will get bought by them. Right. Just like Google just bought Fitbit, right? I'm actually going to be really interested in that. I don't know how much you know about the Fitbit with Google, but right now, I mean, just talk about market share. I mean, the wearable of choices, and I watch. Mm-hmm. Fitbit has a lot of information, mm-hmm. all right? Mm-hmm. But, and Google now owns all that information, but what are they going to do with it? How are they uh, going to deploy? How are they going to catch up in market share? What's their method there? Because wearables is 
part of the puzzle solving equation to this whole topic. I can't say what Google is doing on the Fitbit side of things, mm -hmm. but they've got a head of technology over there, Mike McConnell, mm -hmm. who is their mobile guy, who again, coming out of medical industry, they are not going to fumble the ball on this. It's too big of a play for them. Wow. And so that – Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. That information is um, do not underestimate any of these players. And, and there's room for everybody here, Scott. It's yeah, not yeah. going to be one dominant player. Well, the reason why I bring this up yeah. and the reason why I'm playing stupid to it is yeah. everyone – well, when I say everyone, I mean most people believe the hype. You know that. I know mm -hmm. that. Okay. Mm -hmm. So if you see Apple, who's going to dethrone Apple? Right. Or who's going to dethrone you know, Amazon? Who's going to dethrone MySpace? Who's right. going to dethrone Monster? Who's exactly. Gonna, they were all sitting there. <laughs> we're all sitting there. Doing LinkedIn doing was it. nobody until it was somebody. Right. Facebook was nobody until it was somebody. Mm -hmm. It's easier to dethrone a digital player than a hardware player. Sure. Right. There are companies out there right now, they're clients of mine that are in the video engagement in the OR environment. If you had a choice and you were hardware centric or you were pure software play, and you're out of the medical device industry. So you had a technology engagement in the OR that required hardware, or you had engagement in the OR that required no hardware. Which one would you bet on? All digital. Exactly. Yeah. And so you can take that same model. Because you have range. your service model there versus you, you can just... I can scale this so quickly. Yeah. I can be in 30 countries in a week and a half. Mm-hmm. I can go to Best Buy, buy a camera off the shelf. With the lower cost of overhead. And well, upgrade quicker. This is a yeah, SaaS model. That's a SaaS. This is not a SaaS model. Yeah, SaaS. Well, everyone who doesn't understand what SaaS is, the software at the service. So software is Correct. key, king. It will rule. Always. It will continue to rule. Always. And we just didn't know what SaaS was because it wasn't sold that way. Now Apple's a SaaS company, way. even though it's a hardware company. Right. Amazon's a SaaS company. Mm -hmm. Google's a SaaS company. Software as a service. Sure. Do they sell hardware? Absolutely. For what? To pull the data off of you for it to be a SaaS model. Some of the uh, the folks I work alongside with, I keep saying, look, use the word VNA. They're like, why? I'm like, what, what, what does that mean? I, I go, vendor neutral archive, VNA, VNA. Attached to no one can do anything. Open architecture. That's it. And they're like, why? I go, just open architecture vna 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 that's all they want to hear because these buildings the brick and mortar the hospitals they're tired of being pigeon held mm -hmm. because of the new technology that mm -hmm. comes out because that's what they're looking at because that's the flashy stuff yep we don't want that anymore we want this well you can't do that because we're not sharing information and the rate of acceleration in technology <clears throat> right now is at a much more rapid pace than it was just five years ago so when you're tied to hardware <clears throat> That becomes a liability, and businesses know that. Sure. Right? So yeah. the same way right now is I don't know if you use um, well, we just had an ISP or a cloud service, but you don't have a server in your house anymore. No. You use the cloud. We use the cloud, That's yeah. a SaaS product. Right. Yeah. Everything we do is through G Suite. You don't have a hardware. Yeah. You don't have a server. So why would you sell a medical device? Actually, I, I have a hardware repository. Sure. That's different, though. But that's, that's, that's only as a backup. That's correct. Yeah. That's, that's correct. And Which I would recommend anyone to do that. Correct. Yeah, because so. what happens if you get hijacked, you lose your password, all that, right? You, you need a yep. contingency yep. That, that's built into yep. that. But not in the medical device world. Yeah.
two questions for you as, as we wrap this up. You've been around, Joe. I mean, you you know a lot of CEOs. Mm-hmm. You've been around the business for over 30 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, I admire what you're doing. I love uh, just listening to your content and just watching it and just saying, okay, what's this in alignment with? I have a lot of questions, too, at the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not like everything you say. I'm like, mm, I will challenge, just mm-hmm. like we challenge yeah. you today, which I think is great. That's, that's a healthy conversation. How do you educate yourself? How do you keep that brain going and, and on mm-hmm. top of an unshot? Mm-hmm. You're a smart guy. Mm-hmm. But the thing is ingenious with your talent acquisition side of the business is you're exposing these companies and then you're getting great talent to follow that. So they're getting the best and brightest in the market space mm-hmm. and people who can have really fast bottom lines built up. Mm-hmm. I've never seen that before. I don't think anyone's ever seen that before, mm-hmm. right? That's one thing. But how do you educate yourself? Well, first of all, as you mentioned, I've, I'm blessed to be sitting <laughs> in a seat where I'm actually the couch that everybody lays on. Uh, almost like a psychiatrist, right? <laughs> because when they come in, I'm dealing with the CEOs and the leaderships of these companies. I'm also getting to interact with the crazy winners and the unfortunate losers. And I, and I get to see both sides and understand and, and sort of have a postmortem on what worked and what didn't work. So that's mm-hmm. one. And I'm trusted because I'm a vault. Otherwise, I wouldn't have been around for 30 years and 7,000 successful assignments. Mm-hmm. And you know, we're usually the go-to when it comes to that. So I get that, first of all. And then I don't sit there as when I learn these, when I, when I hear these things, I then go and dig in deep and will sit on Google for an entire weekend on a subject and, and dig down. So that's one. Two is I love to take in information. I'd say read, but I don't have time. So it's uh, books on tape or yeah, you know, audio. So, so audio. So, you know, I, I, I listen to guys like Yuval Harari. If you're in the medical device industry and you've not listened to Yuval Harari, it should be the number one thing, number one person you devour the three books he's written. Get Yuval Harari. Eric Topol is up there too. So if you haven't read Eric Topol on Deep Medicine and Yuval Harari, it'll give you a way to think and process things. I'm a huge fan of Jordan Peterson. Uh, Jordan is an unbelievable thinker. Yeah. Uh, so Very I, atypical. Actually, beyond oof, atypical. I mean, oof, he's uh, oof, oof. deep, deep, deep. So, you know, guys like Jordan, and again, I get to get turned on to the most amazing technologies and being an engineer, mm-hmm. um, I want to understand why things work. Sure. So when I see a new technology come out, I have the luxury and the privilege of knowing what the market is they're going after, why they're going after it, what the capabilities are in the market, what the liabilities are in the market, what their technology does different than other either uh, competitive features in the market, or is it replacing a current standard of care? So I get to see all this. And then with that, I covet it and I continue to learn on it and I'm jazz. And again, I'm an engineer, you know, so I love to learn. You and I are alike in that. I'm not an engineer, but I ask simple question. How is this useful? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Again, the simple the question, the harder the answer. And it makes you pull things out and like, is, is it useful? No, it's And frankly, it's a good it's not. question. It depends who you ask it to. If I ask... If I took this right now and this was a digital solution and I put that in front of a career hardcore medical device leader and that's a digital solution. And then I ask that question, how is this useful to that hmm. med tech executive? <laughs> and then I put the same digital tool in front of an executive out of Amazon. That oh, would be yeah. a different answer. Oh, completely. So it would be fun because now you have the ability, and I think the most brilliant people are able to argue both sides of a position. So I would love to listen to the med tech vet, Mm -hmm. and I would love to listen to the tech 
That and fact. that's uh with this particular show, it's very fair. I'm not one side or the other. Neither am I. I'm like, what do you got? Bring it to the table, you know? Just as before we head out, if you're listening to this, watching this, please know that I adore the medical device industry. I adore it. And I just want people to look at it on where it's going to be over the next five years. Yeah. Because yeah. as you bet your career on that, you need to look at two things when you bet your career. You need to look at a market. And what does that market mean independent of the company you work for today or the company you're thinking about working for? What does that market look like? And so right now, that digital domain moving forward. Over That's the, the most profound years. statement that I think anyone can take away from this on the talent acquisition side right there is where is their market? What do they do? Where is that market outside of the company you're mm-hmm. looking at and the company you work for? Once you decide, is that market <clears throat> robust enough for me to bet my career on? Yep. Then you step down to the company and you step down to the company and say, how is that company going to address that market growth? And so- Can they address that market growth? Right. At the same time. Right. So- I know that I've been tough on my, my peers in the med tech industry, but I've also sitting here saying, please, 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 please move earlier towards that transition with your mindset than later, mm-hmm. because you have a responsibility to the dozens or the tens of thousands of people who work for you in the industry. Yeah. And if you don't move there quick enough, you may make some of those people irrelevant in their careers. And that is not fair for anybody. Final question. Yeah. You can leave the audience with anything you'd like to say. Mm-hmm. Your audience is administrators, doctors, people who are consumers like you and I. Mm-hmm. That's the thing I always say at the end of any of my keynotes is be a person who gives, gives, and gives with expecting nothing in return, but damn well be sure you're standing in plain sight when they need something. Sure. Oh my gosh. Yeah, absolutely. That's it. We have Joe Mullins in front of us. Very thankful for his time. Check him out on truefuture.tv. He is great docuseries. If you haven't seen him on LinkedIn, uh, look at his post that he puts up there. He's one of those folks that posts with intent when he's trying to get something across. Insightful, open-minded. Thank you all for being here. I appreciate it again. Uh, Healthcare360, I'm your host, Scott Burgess. We have uh, Joe Mullins of the Mullins Group, CEO and founder. We'll see you in the next one. Take Take care. care. Thank you. Awesome, bro. That was awesome. That was fun. I love podcasting. Yeah, you get the right guests and you get them all the time. It's a blast and you learn so much. The knowledge Joe Mullings has brought to the best and brightest of Healthcare 360 is valuable to all of us in healthcare as well as those who depend on it. If you like Healthcare 360 and enjoyed this conversation, give this podcast a share and don't forget to write a review. It really helps out the show. Oh, and before I forget, head on over to YouTube where you can watch this entire cast with Joe Mullins and I in its entirety, as well as over 20 short clip deep dives for when you're on the move. Thanks again. This is Scott Burgess. And from all of us with the Healthcare 360 team, we'll see you for episode number 65, where we pick up on the lessons learned conversation with my wife, Michelle Burgess. As always, thank you for being here. And thank you for being a part of the 360 Nation. See you next time.